Welcome back to another episode of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. This is Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Meacham, former UC basketball player from 1997 to 1999 under the legendary coach, Bob Huggins. I was fortunate enough to wear the iconic Jordan brand unis during my time. Now, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham is spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. I'm on Snapchat, Big Meach 41 And now, I can officially say this, on season two, I am now on TikTok, at Alex Meacham 41 This is a special edition of the podcast, my interview series with a very special guest. Bearcats fans, I'm excited to bring in my next guest. He is currently a staff writer and editor for The Athletic, covering the Cincinnati Bearcats. Now, last time I had him on the uh, podcast was back in March, and he was one of my first guests. So I think he was on around episode 19, and now we're at episode 72, and he's back. I'd like to welcome in my guy, Justin Williams. What's going on, Justin? What's up, Meech? I'm I'm glad we're both still going with it. <laughs> well, listen, I want to tell you this. So you were part of that that first wave of guests that I had, okay? So I want you to understand this. Episode 72, we are at about 60,000 hits. And really, we noticed things started to turn after episode 19. It's all because of you. So all, hey. all, all the success we owe to episode 19. I'm, I uh, I do great at taking credit for, for things I don't deserve, and I'll, I'll just add this to the list. So you're, you're welcome, I guess. There you go, man. Hey, um, you have to be super busy with, with football and basketball. There's so many stories, twists and turns, and, and things to write about and discuss right now with both football and basketball. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, football, it's it's been great, and it's it's important to remember that even as good as things have been under Fickle, like seasons like the one they just had, you know, those don't come around that often. So whether it's appreciating everything they just accomplished and went through or, you know, making sure that you're kind of focusing on how things are looking moving forward, uh, it's 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 a good time to, to be writing about Cincinnati football and certainly to be a fan of Cincinnati football. So that's always – that's always good for me, but yeah, I mean, just in general, this this season with how ever, you know how weird everything has been with the pandemic and uh, just you know how tenuous just a, a general schedule is, like you know games coming up and making sure you're getting everything in. That's it's made it I don't know seem just a little bit more um, important or pressing. Uh, it feels mm-hmm. like so. Uh, I'm interested to see where the the rest of the basketball season goes. Obviously. Um, I, I would. I think I and everyone else would prefer if I were writing about maybe a team that is able to kind of put some things together and figure it out. But it's sure. uh, there's been no shortage of things to talk about and write about. You're right about that. Yeah, no question. So, but hey, let's. I, I do want to talk some football before we get to basketball, if you don't mind. Yeah, we'll talk, yeah. talk a little football. So I've always been a, a, a UC football fan um, since I was a little kid. But I think even more so recently, because the university actually asked me to come back and start speaking to the student athletes about, you know, life after sports and building connections while you're there. They, they, they put together a really, really nice program where they bring in different speakers. 
Well, it so happens that for whatever reason, the bulk of kids that are there for my speeches are the football players. So I've really gotten to know a lot of these football players on a personal level, you know, talk to them after games. So you know how it is, Justin. When you build a relationship, you kind of pay closer attention, you know. So so mm-hmm. I really watch these guys. But what's so fascinating is you, you look at – I mean, obviously it's 2021 right now, but you look at the 2020 season with football. I take you back to 1998. <laughs> I'm playing Basketball for the Bearcats. Rick Minter is the football coach. The mm-hmm. football team was two and nine, and I want to tell you this story. So, um, it's October, and you know we're getting ready for the whole Midnight Madness uh, deal coming up, and getting ready for the season. So we're going through preseason conditioning and all that good stuff. And one thing that Hugs and the staff used to ask was, "Hey, go support the football team. You know, go to the games. You get in free. Blah blah blah." Sure. So I believe the game they played was against Indiana. And I think they lost by like 30 or whatever the Bearcats did in football. But I will never forget this. And actually, Kenyon Martin and I were talking about this recently. We went to the game, and Kenyon, who's, you know, six foot nine or whatever he is, he literally laid out on the bleachers because we were so tired from conditioning. He laid out on the bleachers and kind of like fell asleep. There was that much space of nobody there in the student section, how far we have come. And and that leads me to say what an amazing season this Bearcat team has had in the direction of the program right now. All they went through with the pandemic, um, I mean, fans have to be pleased with what's going on. What's your thoughts on on where the program's headed? Yeah, I mean, and look, this is – it's been talked about. It's it's been written about – but you really can't praise what Luke Fickle has done enough uh, with the program. And it's, it's on the field stuff, but you know, I think it's, it's so much off the field stuff that people don't even realize, you know, yes, with recruiting, but also kind of what you're talking about. Like, I don't think it's a mistake that when you're there talking to students, you get a lot of football players showing up, but you know, that's, it's all part Mm -hmm. of the culture that, that he's built there. And, you know, that's, it's something that the, I give the athletic department credit, you know, they're trying to, that's what John Brand's trying to do. That's what Michelle Clark Hurd's trying to do. They're a little bit earlier in their tenures, but you know, that's, that is the, what you want as a, as a school when you make a big hire like that, you know, for football, basketball coach, something like that. And, and man, I mean, Luke Fickle has just delivered in every way possible. And then even more so because, you know, he's, he's shown he's committed to, you know, staying around. It certainly feels like at least longer than I think anyone ever would have expected uh, you know, here or, you know, on the outside because of how much success right. he's had. So, no, I mean, it's, yeah, that's, that's kind of always been my thing all season. And especially now, like I know that that peach bowl loss hurt, but you know, I don't think it's ending by any means after this year. I think they're in a great position, but just make sure people are appreciating, you know, what this football program, you know, has done over the past four years, uh, you know, in the past three years, really under, under Luke Fickle, because uh, it's, it's not easy and it, and it's special, but uh, he, mm-hmm. he's done an incredible job. Would you say at this point, the fandom for Bearcat football is as high as it's ever been? Now, now the Brian Kelly days were, were great. I thought, Brian did a great job of engaging the community. You had a star like Tony Pike, uh, Marty Gilliard, Benz, an amazing – goes down as one of the great, great – maybe the greatest football game in UC history versus Pitt. Um, things were really high at that point. Do you think the fandom and energy around the, the program is at its highest? 
You know, honestly, that's like of the many things that kind of the pandemic has robbed, you know, college sports of this season. I, I think that's one of them because it, it was a little hard to tell. I mean, obviously, you know, whether it's people responding to stuff I write or any, anyone else writes or, you know, things on Twitter, but, you know, to not have kind of packed houses at those mm, at those games yep. this year, it's it's that's where you really get the real sense, people tailgating and, you know, filling up nipper and things like that. So it's certainly, uh, you know, right on par, uh, I think, or, or certainly rivaling that, kind of 2008, 2009 uh, stretch under BK. And I I do think what Fickle's done locally, uh, recruiting, and just, you know, kind of the point of pride that getting a lot of local kids and making Cincinnati football kind of like the cool thing for kids coming out of high school to do, I I don't know that that was the case, you know, when when BK was here. So I think if you add that element in, and then also just some of the interest in recruiting, you know, among the fan base that has come with that, I I think that has certainly helped and, and elevated it. So because of the pandemic, it's a little hard to to make the comparison if you're looking at kind of like game day in-season atmosphere. But if right now, if it's still behind the that BK stretch, I mean, it's it's, it's very minimal. Um, and I think you could certainly make the argument that it's either right there on par or, or maybe even surpassed it at this point. And I think you just made a great point with Luke Fickle kind of drawing that circle around the radius of the greater Cincinnati area for recruiting him. You look at Josh Wiley from LaSalle. I mean, this kid is a stud. I mean, there's no question in my eyes that he'll be playing one day on Sunday you know, if he stays healthy and stays the course. And, you know, you, he's really done a great job of recruiting uh, locally, which helps the fandom. But I think even more so, I think yesterday they were kind of announcing who's looking to go pro and all that. And, and I think that, as much as it hurts to lose some guys that go pro, not come back, whatever the case might be, that does help the program out, though, because that visibility of, hey, we've got players that, you know, are are not only developing but are good enough to go to the professional level. That, in turn, helps your recruiting. You agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, obviously, like – there's a couple juniors on this team that have decisions to make Des Ritter, James Hudson, my Jay Sanders, you know, are, are they going to come back or are they going to declare early? And you, you saw that with Mike Warren last year and fans definitely like, you know, how cool would it be if James Wiggins, Jared Dokes, if every single person came back, they used that extra year, extra added year of eligibility. <laughs> like, yeah, the team would be ridiculous, but oh, look man. at the great teams in college football. Like every year they send half a dozen guys, if not more into Bingo. the NFL, and and they're great and like that's you know Cincinnati is not Ohio State or Clemson or Alabama obviously but that's kind of like they they want to be on that path so the idea that every year you can send you know some kid to to the NFL whether he's a junior or senior and then oh guess what now you have a high three star or four star kid maybe with some local ties who's going to come mm-hmm. in and fill his spot like that is what being a great college football program is all about and I think people you know fans maybe going into next year they'll start to realize like yeah we miss James. Wiggins, but, you know, Brian Cook is a beast at safety, and, you know, maybe yeah. then after next year he's going to go to the NFL, and, and you start to see, like, yeah, you know, guys being on mock drafts or assistant coaches going and getting other jobs, not the worst thing in the world because it means you're doing something right. For sure. I mean, and you got to think about it. Like, you know, if you're a top tight end in the country, you have to at some point look at Cincinnati. It's turned into tight end you with the success oh, for of sure. Right. And, and they got think, this high three star kid out of Miami coming in in the 21 class, Shimon Matire. I mean, you're going to be a freshman next year. And, like, he's an athletic freak. 
and you know could have gone not maybe not anywhere in the country but just about anywhere in the country to play football and I guarantee you you know there's a lot of things he probably likes about Cincinnati but Josiah DeGuara, Josh Wiley, mm-hmm. Leonard Taylor and you know let's be honest Travis Kelsey like the yep. program does a good job, even though he played here, whatever, 10 years ago. The program does a good job of being like, yeah, he's a Cincinnati guy, and, and he reps it hard, and that's, yes, he that's important to people. Where he wears a, a throwback hat. He'll wear a throwback Cincinnati jersey. Um, yeah, he, Kelsey does a great job of, of promoting the Bearcats. Um, well, and another thing, too, um, you know, James Smith uh, just declared – Mm-hmm. Um, I, I tell you a quick story. Like I was saying, I, I get a chance to go and speak to the kids. And after one of my speeches, um, I have some kids come up and, you know, ask me for my number. We exchange numbers, try to keep in contact. And um, James Smith was one of those kids. But but funny story about him is he wanted to talk to me about shoes. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> so here he comes. I don't know the kid, right? And here he is talking to me about um uh, you know, hey, and he's got that accent, right? So right, right. He starts naming off these shoes, and I'm like, wait, 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 what? And he's like, yeah, man, I'm a big shoe guy, blah, blah, blah. That's, that's my accent. That was my, <laughs> that's your my Australian accent. accent. Yeah, that was my best attempt there. But we, we started to kind of vibe over shoes and, and talking a little bit. And then next thing you know, um, I am flying to Florida, okay? And I'm headed to the airport. I'm at CVG. And I'm I'm getting ready to go to my gate, and I just I hear this person yelling my name, Meech, Meech, Meech. I turn around, it's James. He's headed to Orlando to some kicking camp mm-hmm. in Orlando, and um, so we were on the same flight. So we sat there at the gate and talked about shoes for like an hour. Okay, so we get to Orlando, go our separate ways. I say good luck. I'm flying back to Cincinnati, walking to my gate in Orlando. Hey, Meech. Him again. <laughs> we sit down for an hour and talk about shoes again. And so I just became the biggest, you know, fan of his. And I'm so glad that he's now got an opportunity to hopefully play in the, the league. And I sent him a message that you can buy all the shoes, um, all the shoes you want. But just a great – and I guess my, my point with telling that story is um, he is – it's one thing to recruit – you know, high-level athletes, but it, when you get a combination of high-level athletes mixed with high-character guys, if they're if they happen to have both both agree, great. But I, I just think Fickle has just done a great job of having a great mix of talented athletes, high-character guys, and you, you can't you can't measure that. You know, it, it's just I, I think a lot of that success has come back to high-character guys. Yeah, no, you're right, and that's that's always been you know. I think something that Fickle's been about, and it's funny. I think when when you take a lot of those high character guys, then maybe some of the guys you bring in initially who lean more to the just good athlete, good talent part of that equation, when, when you get them mixed in with that for three, four, or five years, it's impressive how many of them end up coming out also being not just great athletes but high character guys. And you know that's 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 really what the culture deal is when when people talk about that with coaches. And and Fickle certainly got a good handle on it. Well said. Okay, so last thing I want to say regarding football, um, there. This is the time of year right now where the NFL coaches are getting fired like crazy. I think somebody <laughs> somebody just got fired right before I called you. So um, all these coaches are getting fired. So they're going to start looking down at the college level. Of course, Urban Meyer will be, you know, up for the Jacksonville job or whatever, and and you know they'll start looking around. If some of those college guys start moving, um, how do you think that affects Fickle? And obviously, 
Marcus Freeman, too. I want to talk about that. Yeah, I mean, Fickle, obviously, like, you, you never know what's going to happen, but it, it certainly just seems like after what happened with Michigan State last, I guess, just last February, and, you know, he was the guy they wanted for that. He turned it down, uh, and then not only did he – stay at Cincinnati, but he signed an extension and I get it, you know, extensions aren't worth the, the paper they're printed on, but it, it was kind of just another <laughs> check mark that he has right. shown, like, you know, he said, hey, I'm not interested in maybe looking for other jobs, and then he turned down some of these jobs, some of them publicly, some of them privately. Then he signs an extension. His his son signs in the 2021 class that's, that's coming. He's going to be a freshman next year. Like, he has given no indication he's looking to leave. Now, there are a couple jobs, Ohio State, Notre Dame are kind of the obvious ones, that if, if they would ever open up for some reason and they had interest in him, I, I think he'd have a hard time turning them down. But, like, you know, some of the schools that he has already turned down, I don't know what else would open that would be better than that that would kind of draw him away, especially after the season they had. Now, Marcus Freeman's a little bit of a different case. First of all, any defensive coordinator opening right now in college football, and there's some big ones, Notre Dame, LSU, Texas, Auburn, Michigan, like he's going to be on all those lists for, yep. you know, whether he actually does interview or whether they just want to interview him, he's going to be on there. I think he's going to get some NFL attention. He got some last year. He mm. turned down an NFL job. Uh, I hadn't thought about that. Year. So, and, you know, I think there's a, a, as ridiculous as this might sound when you think about it in that context, I think there's a good chance he's back at Cincinnati next year. But he's kind of that same example of, like, guys going to the NFL. If Marcus Freeman leaves and he's an NFL, co like, you know, coordinator assistant or he's a defensive coordinator at a big-time, you know, Power 5 elite school or he gets a head coaching job at, you know, a mid-level Power 5 or, or a really good G5 school or something like that, yeah, that that's going to hurt he's great but it's also just like you know this guy deserves any amount of attention he gets any job he gets he's going to be a home run hire and that's part of what fickle's building so uh, yeah. i'll be interested to see how the next you know week to uh, maybe even longer than that like you said with some of the nfl stuff how that all goes in terms of where freeman lands um but you know for me personally if he's back at cincinnati next year that's great because he's a great guy to cover and talk to if he gets a job somewhere else that's awesome too, because that means it's something he wanted and he has earned, you know, whatever it is that he wants to do in my opinion. Yep. No question. All right. Well, we, we just finished up the Bearcat football podcast there. <laughs> we'll jump into the Bearcat <laughs> basketball podcast now. Um, Jesus, where the hell do we start here <clears throat> with basketball? Um, so much to unpack. Um, and and I, I'm just to the point, Justin, where I, I can't even – I can't even respond on Twitter to all the, the the Bearcat fans that ask this question, that question. I'm just like, check out this next podcast with, with Justin. So <laughs> hopefully we, we can answer oh, no, a lot, a lot of, of pressure. <laughs> it's a lot of pressure, but fans are looking for some answers and just like some guidance as far as, you know, where the program's headed. So if you look at this team right now, two and six over, overall, um, 0-3 in the conference, and it, it just seems like there's so much to be fixed with this team. So I want to attack this in two parts, Justin. I want to first start with what are the problems, right? And then we can look at potentially what are the solutions. So let's start with what are the problems. Looking at roster-wise, there's been a lot, a lot of movement. Um, if you want to talk a little bit about that, wrap out, do out, do back in, gave out. Mason possibly back in. How much do you think this fluctuation with the with the roster has been a problem for this basketball team? 
Yeah, I mean it's it's an issue, and it was it was an issue last season too. Like Trevor yep. Moore left in the middle of the year, uh, Jay Starola left in the middle of the year. So it's it's not like it's just something that's that's popped up here. Uh, I mean it's it's certainly not something that you can just like shrug your shoulders at. I don't think. I think you can probably if you go case by case, you can you know give some some compelling reasons for for each one that it's not like it's maybe one overarching issue. Uh, and then you know this year you have to add all the you know. I know people are tired of talking about it and thinking about it, but like the, the pandemic is, it, it's having a, a huge impact. And, you know, especially I think you saw what Gabe Matson put out on Twitter in terms of his yep. note. Like it's living with it and, and being a student athlete, whether it's football, basketball, any of, any of these athletes, college athletes. I, I don't know that people fully understand just how difficult it is. You know, a coach gets to go home to his family, to his house at the end of the day. Yep. These these players don't have that, so I, I certainly sympathize with that part of it. But yeah, you know, I think it's the I think at the root of all of that like in season turnover is how much off season turnover there's been. You know, they mm-hmm. they've had added seven new scholarship players each of the past two off seasons. You know, last year was a shortened off season because Brandon got hired in April after Mick Curran left. This year was obviously an abnormal off season. So you're kind of taking these weird circumstances, you're adding a bunch of players in a short time span uh, and and then you're trying to like make it all work, and I think there's just been a couple cases where it obviously hasn't worked out. You know, they bring in Rap as a grad transfer, and I think people were excited about that partly because of how he torched Cincinnati last year. But just <laughs> he seemed like the perfect fit for kind of what John Brandon wanted to do, yeah, and yeah. that turned out to just not be the case at all. And you know, reasons for that. I don't know. You you could dig into it. I I think he maybe wasn't exactly uh, the fit that they thought he was going to be. I don't think the you know the offense catered to him the way he thought it might. Um, and you could go down the line and do that with each person. But I, I think because of how much they've had to add each off season, um, it, that's what's impacted some of the in season departures. And that's not you know I'm not using excuses or justifying it. Like I said, there's, I think it's certainly concerning, but I think the sheer volume is, is certainly a big factor to it. And if you, if you look at rap, like what I was most excited about for, for rap coming in was not just his ability to, you know, potentially knock down shots, but bring in some veteran leadership, right. And some, mm-hmm. some high IQ with him, because I think as most people know, coach Brandon is, is very cerebral. He likes to, you know, through the course of the season, it, it kind of builds, and you really have to be in tune mentally to play for Coach Brandon. And I thought Rap was going to bring kind of like that leadership to this team from a veteran standpoint. As you talked about, a lot of new guys coming in, but I just heard, I, I don't know, it was one of the press conferences in the early part of the season where Rap was talking about, talking about the team and, and players, and I was just so impressed by what he was saying, and I'm like, man, he's going to bring a great voice to this basketball team. And I, I personally, just watching it, I, I just felt like he never did get a chance to really embrace that role. I don't know if it was because of frustration, he wasn't getting shots, wasn't knocking down the shots, and he just kind of put his head down. But I just, I just didn't see that leadership role at all. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think – and maybe this is certainly something I wrote about and I know other people talked about leading into the season and maybe it should have even seen it coming sooner, like playing him and vote together. Just, it, it wasn't going to work. Nope. Um, and I, I, I don't think that was like, I don't think it took getting on the court and actually playing the games for people to realize that, but it really didn't work. 
and and then I just you know then you're kind of juggling them and you're putting them in different positions. I know you know I talked to Rap this offseason after he committed and he made a big point like I don't want to play the five, I want to play the four, and and I want to be used like a four in the offense. Well. Chris is obviously a five. That means you can't play him on the floor together. And I think they wanted to use the, you know, rap as a five when Chris was off the floor and he maybe didn't want to do that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I, I think it just it was one of those things that maybe um, it felt like a, a better fit. I mean, certainly it seems that way. It felt like a better, better fit this off season and it proved to be during the season. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that it didn't work out. It obviously, you know, it's it's going to end up being kind of a just a weird stretch having having him on the team, um, and then you mix in Mamadou opting out and opting back in. Uh, <laughs> it certainly can't you know for a team that uh, I think is fair to say lacks an identity and and isn't really hasn't really put it all together having you know players come in and out that obviously doesn't help it. Um, and so I, th- I think I think that certainly would lend to some of the one of probably many reasons why there's been some early season struggles. Well, I, I know. Speaking of Dew, I'm I'm happy Dew's back uh, for a lot of reasons. So first of all, he I think he's a fantastic kid. He's a great personality, um, and I think he does really help the team. He brings a dynamic to the team. I, I, and specifically, uh, one thing I want to talk about is is these defensive woes, and I, I think he can kind of help out with that a little bit. And, and so. I want to use that to segue into the defensive issues this team has faced. I've said from day one, I do not think this is a very good half-court defensive team and will never be a like very good half-court defensive team. Mm-hmm. I've played on a lot of defensive basketball teams, and there's just so many nuances to being very, very good in the half-court, and they, they just – they don't. They do not have that, and there's nothing wrong with that because they're teams like that. But where I, I see them potentially excelling and could help, and I think do is a big part of this is picking up full court and being able to use speed and in some cases length. You look at do, you look at Tari to to really help um, in, in that with defensively full court picking up and, and causing some problems and kind of keeping them out of the half court. Give me your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I totally agree, and yeah, you're right that having do in you know in that kind of full court press, especially if it's someone kind of lurking at the back, is is better than than Rap was and and than Vote is just in terms of athleticism. Yeah. So yeah, I mean this team is at its best when when they're pressing full court, when they're playing fast, when they're getting steals, when they're running in transition. Because I agree with you, they're not a great half court defense team. They're also not a good half court offensive team either. So like their best bet <laughs> right now is stay away from like, half court. <laughs> yeah, play fast, you know, and that's press, create turnovers, get out and run. Now the the problem is, especially right now, they have basically nine guys. It's tough to to press all game because yep. you get tired, because you foul, um, because if teams kind of figure it out and start breaking it down. I think another thing I'd like to see them more, and they did this a little bit in that Tulsa game, is I think they should play more zone in the half court. You know, yeah. when they have to play half court. I know John Brandon is not he's not a zone guy. He prefers to play man to man. He has kind of a specific way they they guard ball screens. You know, they they ice ball screens, which I don't know how technical we want to get in terms of that stuff. But I think one of their biggest problems this year is they, they haven't done well at defending the ball screens that way. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know whether that's a personnel thing or it just hasn't – the system hasn't totally set in. Um, but if you're not going to be pressing full court and creating turnovers because it is almost impossible to do that for 40 straight minutes, mm-hmm. then, yeah, I would like to see them 
to play a little bit more zone in the in the half court because you know I, I, I they're for a lot of the faults they have I think they're a pretty good rebounding team they're a really good offensive rebounding team mm-hmm. um, and for the most part they've held their own in terms of defensive rebounding and especially with some of the whether they're playing small or, or just the you know, the size disadvantage that they might have uh, I think that's been a positive so that that can be a little bit tougher when you play zone in the half court but um, I, I think it might not hurt to, to maybe try something like that a little bit more often. And based on what we saw against Tulsa, it seems like we might see that more. I think you make a great point with, with the zone, and, and that leads me to ask this question. So you, you look at Coach Brandon, like you said, um, big on man-to-man, man-to-man principles. H- how tough is it, do you think, as a coach right now? You know, Coach Brandon wants to put an imprint on his style of play to create an identity for his basketball program. How tough is that when, you know, like last year, he didn't coach that team. He managed that team, Mm -hmm. you know, whereas this year he does have more guys that he recruited to kind of, kind of fit what he wants to do. Not, not all the way with recruiting, but you know, how do you juggle that where, you want to play a certain style to give the fans this is my identity for the program, but yet you can't fully implement it because these guys can't really execute it all. So you have to make some sacrifices, like you say, with the zone, and that's not really his thing. And I could see him battling that sometimes in games. Yeah, and and you, I think you're what you hit it where you said like he managed last year as much if not more than he coached. And you know that he did that, and, and they were able to to win and, and do well down the stretch. And so I think that was kind of like, all right, that was a justification for that. I think it's hard for him knowing all the things you said. He wants to put his culture and he wants to put his system in. It's then hard to move away from those things when you when he is you know so resolute in his belief that if we do this, it will work. Um, and so then you know then it becomes kind of a juggling act. Well, this year's not going well. But so how much do you stick with? you know, the the system stuff that you want to do moving forward. So does that matter when guys like Keith and Chris are out on the floor because they're seniors? So, you know, how much attention should be paid to it then if you're, if you're trying to, to win this year or, you know, implement things for next year? It is mm-hmm. it is a tough balance, and I, I get some of the hesitancy to be like, well, I don't want to go through another year where I'm making changes and, and doing more managing than coaching or moving away from things that I want to do just to give us kind of chance to win in the immediate um, present tense. I, I get why that can be tough, but yeah, I, I just, it almost seems like um, whether because of the, you know, guys they have that he inherited or, or some of the you know additions he's had to made, whether transfers or recruiting or whatever, maybe they don't fully fit that system yet, or, or they certainly don't seem to be executing it yet. So <laughs> right, right, you, right. then you might, you know, I think Part of being a player is, is adjusting, and I think that's part of being a coach, too. I, I get why it's hard to move away from what you want to do in, in your system and what you want to implement, but if it's not working, then I, I think adjustments might have to be made, and that's why, like I said, I think you we, – we have we saw that last year. I think we're starting to see a little bit of that um, with the way they played in the Tulsa game. There's definitely things to be encouraged by from that Tulsa game that, that were improvements um, yep. from some of the early season struggles. Uh, it obviously didn't result in a win, and, you know, I think that his point after the game where he said that this team has a very, very, very small margin for error, I, I think he really hit that. The question moving forward will be, so how do you – 
how do you combat that? How do you change that? How do you find a way to win within that margin? How do you find a way to expand that margin for error? Um, you know, that's going to be his challenge. And if it, if it means going away from some of the things he wants to do, or he kind of bedrock beliefs as a coach, then, mm-hmm. you know, you, you might have to do that. That'll, that I think will be the, the kind of the biggest challenge for him and interesting thing to see moving forward the rest of this year. And I think Bearcat fans um, want to see somebody put on a superhero cape and, and just change everything. And, that, and that's just not going to happen, I think, with this basketball team. You know, um, uh, the, let's look at the twins. So Mason is coming off an injury. He'll be back. And I, and I heard some people chirping that he's really going to help take this basketball team to the next level. Yeah, he can knock down shots. He's been hurt. He hasn't played game reps. It's going to take him a while to even be able to play at the level that, you know, people even hope him to play at. Right. Um, you know, Gabe opting out. And let, let me and you touched upon this. Let me let me say this, and and I think you made a great point. Gosh, it 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 is so tough right now for for student athletes in this climate. You got to think about a couple different things. They really didn't have an off season or a preseason, I should say, an off season and a preseason. Mm-hmm. Um, so so coming in as freshmen a lot of these kids are just being thrown in the fire, man. And they're not having opportunities to what I say, you know, you, you, you've got to make mistakes to learn. And and you look at, you know, some of the Cronin teams and the Huggins teams that I played the first five games, we play teams where we, we made mistakes. Freshmen mm-hmm. made mistakes. You know, Mick was notorious for, you know, the first five games we, you know, they would play teams I've never even heard of. <laughs> and I'm in the damn sport. He brought in teams. I was like, I've never heard of this basketball team in my life. But I think it helped because, you know, guys that were young could go out there and make mistakes correct. They could build their confidence. And that just hasn't – it just really hasn't happened uh, for this basketball team. So, you know, and and quickly back – I know it's kind of venturing off, but back with Gabe and what you were saying, man, it is so tough on these kids to – like you said, John Brandon could go home. You know, the coaches can go home to their families. These kids are kind of stuck and are isolated in an island, and that that mentally wears on you. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're not going to class. They're not, you know, you maybe go out and pick up something to eat, but it's not like people are going out and, you know, uptown or anything like that. Maybe you, you know, I don't want to suggest that, like, every one of these kids is a perfect choir boy, and it's like, all right, I go to practice, and I put my mask on, and I go and sit in my room by myself. But right. honestly, that's a lot of times the only, you know, thing they they can do because mm-hmm. no one else is on campus. Um, it's especially right now it's cold outside. So you're going, you're working out, you're with your team, then you're going back and you might have online class, but you're basically just kind of sitting in your apartment or your dorm and you're on your phone. And that's, that is certainly not kind of a, a normal college life, college athlete life. And so that part's tough. And then, yeah, and on top of it, like, yes, those are all things that I think are, are relevant, but you can certainly look at this team. And I think I believe that it was going to be a transition year that they were going to struggle at times. But, you know, they have struggled certainly more than I expected them to. And, and there's a lot of reasons for that. The, the pandemic and some of those mental things are, are part of it. But I think there there is also more that goes into it. So, Chris Vogt, let's talk about – you said struggle. Chris, Chris <laughs> Vogt is beyond struggling. Um, so, in your eyes, what's what's the issue with Chris? What do you see? 
So he came in last year as a transfer and, and I think was a, a depth piece. I mean, this was a guy who was a backup at, at Northern Kentucky um, as a sophomore. The thought when he came in was he wasn't going to get his waiver. He was going to sit out the season. Kind of miraculously, last minute, he gets the waiver. And and then when you just look at, like, how Jaron started the year and some of the injuries they had in general, all of a sudden Chris is, like, the focal part of their offense, for, you know, a lot of those early games. And he played really well. He kind of got hurt and fell off a little bit down the stretch last season. But I think what we're seeing this year is, you know, Chris's vote isn't taking anyone by surprise. So teams, he's part of the scouting report. He's part of the mm-hmm. game plan. And he struggled because he, the, the added attention from opposing teams, he has struggled, whether it's them being physical with him in the post or just like we know this team is going to try and get him the ball down low and we're going to do what we can to take that away from him. And I, I think, you know, when he didn't necessarily get all that attention and was taking some teams by surprise, because once he gets the ball, you know, on the block and turns and shoots, he is a pretty good post scorer. The, the challenge this year has been him getting position. And also, you know, there have been times where I don't think they're a great entry post pass team either. And Man. You, you combine those two things and it's like they're, they seem to be expelling a lot of energy and time trying to get Chris vote the ball in the post in the half court offense and it's not working, and then they don't really have, you know, a backup plan. They don't have Jaron Cumberland who can just put his head down and, and drive to the basket. So right. you know, I wrote about this last week or a couple of weeks ago. I, I think they should just run less stuff for Chris on offense. And, you know, it, this isn't an easy thing to ask a player to do, but be like, all right, you want to get buckets, you're going to get offensive rebounds, or you're going to be a dump-off guy at, at the basket, mm-hmm. or you're going to trail in transition and, and maybe get get some easy buckets that way. Again, that you're asking a lot of effort and a less attention, but it doesn't seem to be working, kind of making him a focal point of the offense. And just in general, he's not a great fit for the style of play. I think John wants to play that whole 94 feet both ways. Yep. Uh, this team especially, when it's best getting out and running, like we said, he doesn't necessarily fit for that. And, you know, you, you, we have seen his minutes decrease. I think he played 20 minutes uh, against Tulsa the other night. Uh, yep. That went right. a lot. So um, as frustrating as he is for, for fans, and I know that he is, and I'm sure you hear it too, um, mm-hmm. it, it does seem like there has been some recognition of that, uh, you know, from a team standpoint because uh, he seems to be playing fewer minutes and and maybe not as big of a focal point on offense. And I still think, you know, if he can then find a way to be a um, contributing, benefiting player, you know, within that limited role, that that's what could help them, you know, maybe turn things around a little bit. Um, but whether he can do that I, I will be one of those things that's worth watching the rest of the way too. So everything you just said is so spot on. And I was having this conversation with a friend, and I told him, my opinion is the Bearcats should not look to throw the ball to Chris and, and look at him as a primary option. I take it back to Ryan Fletcher, um, who played for the Bearcats when I played. Um, Ryan was not a, a focal point of our offense. He was called upon to do several things. And Hugs was like, you will play a lot of minutes if you defend the post and you rebound the ball defensively. Everything else will will come to you if you do those things at an extremely high level. And Flex bought into that. Mm-hmm. And he and he became such an important part of our team to where you almost couldn't take him out of the game because he did those things very well. So I think for Chris, if he can 
you know, uh, accept that role if that's what Coach Brandon wants him to do. But start start doing some of those things and concentrate on that and let other guys kind of become the, the vocal point, which, which leads me to segue into, I think, a player that I've been looking for more from uh, so far. And I think he's done a good job, but I've been looking for more, and that's Keith Williams. Um, and I kind of got a different take on this um, because I, I I had extremely high expectations for Keith this year. This is his basketball team, you know, going into the year. This is his basketball team. He's got to lead vocally. He's got to talk. He's got to attack. And you know what? There's just it's the foul trouble. Um, you know, occasionally he takes some really really bad shots. I get what he's trying to do, but just really really bad shots. I haven't seen him lead vocally, and I don't mean the knock on a kid because I know him very well and don't mean to be critical, but I, I think if we have – like if he wasn't in his foul trouble as much and has played at an even higher level, we're, we might be looking at a totally different record. Yeah, I mean, the, the first thing you're right is fouls. Like, and it's funny, you know, he, he wasn't in foul trouble during the Tulsa game really, but there was uh, – if I remember correctly, it was under a minute in the first half and he had one foul and he just committed like a stupid <laughs> – foul and transition like might as well have pulled out a baseball bat and just clubbed the guy yeah it was almost like his brain was like i gotta get my second foul before halftime right that he needs to cut that stuff out you know he he's an aggressive player he's gonna get charges sometimes in transition or going for a steal i get that but he's had a couple times this year where he's like missed a free throw and then fouled the guy 84 feet away you know almost out of frustration and like he's too good of a player he's too important of a player to be doing stuff like that so you're right. The foul trouble is the first thing. And then the other thing is, yeah, you know, I think you said it, he, he's forced some bad shots, and, and I get why he does that sometimes because he is such an important part of this offense. He, he he has to be the leading scorer and kind of the, you know, the main focus from that perspective. But I think sometimes that forces him into, all right, I'm, I'm going to, you know, take this jab step three instead of passing it back out and trying to reset, or I'm going to try mm-hmm. and force this drive because we, we haven't gotten anything else going on this possession and, and get to the basket. Or I had to sit out 15 minutes in the first half in foul trouble. I need, I need to make up all these points. Yep. And I think if he, you know, if, if he is the, does the things he exceeds that, which is playing in transition, you know, playing on the wing, being a guy who catches off of dribble penetration or being a slasher cutter type guy, that that's when he's at his best. If if they're clearing out and going ISO for him at the top of the key, or if he's jab stepping on the wing and, and forcing a fadeaway shot, like that, that's not where he is at his best. Um, but again, sometimes he's going to ha- he's going to have to take those few of those shots a game because of, you know, what he means to this team um, mm-hmm. from an offensive perspective. And, and that's just the way it goes sometimes. Um, but yeah, I, I think if he can stay out of foul trouble and do his best to like, you know, do the things he does well, and, and for them to highlight those things, playing in transition being one of them, that's that's where we start to see him shine. And you know, in the second half of some of these games, he's racked up a lot of points just playing off the press and, and playing out on fast breaks. Yeah, and I and, and I don't think a lot of a lot of the things with Keith aren't done out of selfishness or bad attitude. It's just, you know, he's he's trying to help. And like you said, he'll take that bad shot here and there, but it's out of trying to help, you know, the team. And I will always say that for Keith. Definitely not a not a selfish kid. So um He's gotta make his free throws too. He he was an eighty percent free throw shooter okay. last year. He's he's shooting sixty five percent. Like that's he's averaging fifteen points a game. He'd be close to twenty points a game if he just made his free throws. 
So, okay, I'm glad you brought that up. Let's hit that. All right, so people are tweeting at me. Do the Bearcats practice free throws? And I'm like, of course they do. But here's the thing. It's so mental. There's so much mental that goes into shooting a free throw in a game. There's time. There's situation. It it adds another pressure to to a player. And I think... Like I think there's been frustration with Keith, and as a result of that, he, he's missed quite a few free throws because, I mean, like, I can't remember which game it was specifically. It was the Xavier game. One of them, he missed just way too many free throws. But, like, he's shooting it, and he's, like, stepping over the line, and he misses it, and his head's, like, going down. And I'm like, this kid has no confidence at the free throw line at all. Yeah, and I, again, you're right. I don't know what the fix is. Yes, they practice free throws. <laughs> all of them do. <laughs> Um, and if it was something as simple as like, oh, I missed four free throws this game, so I need to practice, like, like that would solve it. But, you know, he's one of my things for him going into the year was like he needs to get to the line. He can't settle for jump shots. And he's done that. He's averaging six and a half free throws a game. Um, you know, I think if he can be in that six to eight free throw attempts per game range, like that's that's awesome. That's what he needs. The problem is he's making about four. Like, you know, he's it, getting there doesn't really do you too much good if you don't make them. So, we know he's a good free throw shooter. I do think over the course of the season we'll we'll see him, you know, creep back up closer to where he's at. Yep. But that that's definitely, you know, I think part of the problem right now because we've seen it late in some of these games, whether it's him or, or other people, um, they've just left too many points out there. And I think I think that there, for the frustration that the fans have, um, I tell them some of these things they can fix. It's not like. You know, they have capable players that just haven't figured out role, identity, some of those things. It's not like they're running like uh, my guy who I love to death. It's not like Sam Martin's playing 30 minutes or Alex Meacham's playing 30 minutes. It's like, okay, Alex is only going to be able to give you so much or Sam's only going to be able to get – it is what it is. They're running capable, high-level players out there that just haven't figured some things out. So there is hope there. Like you can't – totally give up on this basketball thing. I think a couple adjustments, you know, and they can fix some things. However, Justin, here's the problem that I see. This schedule is not allowing them to fix a lot of things in in game. So you think about this. They turn around, they play 6-1 and one SMU at SMU. Mm-hmm. After that game, turn around and play currently 6-2 and two Wichita State, whatever their record will be, at Wichita State. So you're playing two 12-win basketball, to combine 12-win basketball games on the road. Man, that's just as if you're already not struggling. You've got to go on the road and play tough games, and you've got to kind of learn, you know, as you play. And that that's tough, very tough. Yeah, no, you're right. And that's, you know, going back to what you said before, the, they didn't have some of those, you know, kind of, let's be honest, like tomato can cupcake games early in the yeah. year. Um, and part of that was like, I mean, they weren't going to have a ton of those anyways, because cause Brandon is a believer in, in a tough schedule, but because of the pandemic, they just, they lost a lot of their non-conference schedule. They lost five games before the holiday break last year, but they mm-hmm. won seven because they had, you know, a few extra, they had that MTE that they, they had a few extra games they could play. They lost some of those. They lost Western Illinois and, um, you know, I think Grambling State, some of those teams that they probably would have played it at home and, and had easy wins and figured some stuff out this year. So that's part of it. 
but yeah, you, you know, I, I think you're right. It's they're they're already three games into the conference schedule of a 20 game conference schedule. They're already kind of right in the thick of it. Like the the time for figuring stuff out, unfortunately, is is probably gone, which is, is making it even more tough. Um, yep. You know, I I don't want to step over like kind of whatever you wanted to hit, but you know, one of I think if you look, there are some positives, there are some negatives. One of the things I think is a positive with the team is they do play hard. You know, I, yep. I have rarely felt like there's games where they're just dogging it, and I think that's a positive Justin, sign. Touch, touch on that because I have tweeted that, and people have disagreed with me. I totally agree with you. I think they're trying and they're playing hard. Yeah, I mean, some of it – now, that doesn't mean it's it's disciplined or there isn't foolish moments. I think if you look at some of the foul troubles and turnovers, um, you could certainly – like, there's things to clean up. But I, I have very rarely gotten the sense that, like, they're just not playing hard. I, I think they need to be tougher. Um, I think they kind of get bullied around a little bit at times, but I don't attribute that to, like, a lack of effort. Um, I, I think kind of the flip side of, yeah, they, they play really hard, so then what's the issue is I, I just haven't seen a ton of – progress like individual progress from some guys i think you've seen it from tar east and, and, and he's a freshman so that's a good sign uh, i think we've seen some flashes of it from mikey saunders who's another freshman mm-hmm. obviously jeremiah davenport has probably improved more than anyone else yep. from from last year and, and that's encouraging but like you know whether it's seniors keith chris rap when he was there um you know mamadou who i know has been obviously gone for a while and just came back but zach harvey mike adams woods those, you know, especially if you're looking to next year, those are the guys who need to start making leaps. And so yes. far, I have not seen it from them. And and I I don't I'm not sure what the reasons are for that. I'm not sure if yeah we're eventually gonna see it this year. You know, when the schedule kind of catch, catches up to whatever a normal season would be like. But if you know if, if you're looking at the converse side of yeah they play hard, what is most um, disheartening to me, it's like not seeing a, a ton of progress made for some of these guys as individual players. I agree. And and how much of that do you think is a result of, you know, guys maybe not um, identifying their role, um, accepting their role, and executing their role? Because it looks like, like Mike Adams-Woods is just like, there are times where he's just out there. And yeah. he's just running around. Um, Zach, I've seen flashes of Zach being really good. Um, you know, there have been some games where it's like, okay, starting to turn a corner. But I just feel like I, I don't know if they've clearly identified the roles and accepted the roles. Yeah, I mean, some like sometimes I, the Tulsa game, I just thought Micah had a bad game. Like he had some open shots. They didn't go down. You know, he, he had some, some turnovers or just like defensive lapses. And I don't know if there's a reason you could point to. Sometimes it's just like you have a bad game, you, you miss shots. But, yeah, I, I haven't totally put my finger on yet why, like, what Micah had 16 points in the opening game this season and was like, they needed every bit of it. He's a big reason why they won that game. Mm-hmm. I certainly don't expect him to put up 16 a night, but I don't. I don't have his numbers in front of me. I wonder if he scored in double figures since then. I, I it, nothing jumps out to me if he has. So, mm-hmm. um, and you know, it's not just offense. It's not just scoring points. I think it's guys. You know, whether they're turning the ball over too much or they're they're losing focus yeah. defensively. Um, that's it's something that I'm paying attention to. But I, for most of these guys, I can't point and say like. 
okay, you know, here's the issue. If they did this, it'll click for this person. Uh, and I'm sure, I'm sure the coaching staff's thinking the same thing because if they they knew the answer to those questions, they would they would be fostering that. Yeah. Um, but right. yeah, why 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 that's the case, I can't say I totally have a grasp on yet. But it's certainly something you know, especially if this season continues to struggle and and people start looking to next year, we need to see some of that development. Yeah. Um. And small ball. We we hear a lot about that with this basketball team. They should play more small ball. So let me ask you, do you think that they need to play during those 40 minutes more small ball? And then also, what does small ball look like for this basketball team? Like what players fit that small ball role? Yeah, I mean, I would like to see them do that more. I think just if you just look at the Tulsa game specifically, uh, I think where you saw the most flashes, and it makes sense because all the stuff we talked about, this team plays best when it presses, when it gets out and runs, when it when it plays fast. Um, well, playing small would, would lend itself to that. So I think you can – honestly, I think it's tough to consider playing fast and playing small ball when, when Chris Bowe's on the floor. He's going to be on the floor for some minutes, but – you know, I, I don't think you can play that way necessarily with him. I think you can play that way with Do because he's athletic enough. Yeah, um, yeah. And then, yeah. you know, they they showed some minutes against Tulsa where they had Tari at the five and JD at the four. I think there was even a stretch where they technically had JD at the five and four guards, you know, out there with them too. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's some reasons they, they can get away with doing that, um, you know, other than the fact that they play best when they're playing fast. But they have some guards who can rebound. Julius is, is a good rebounder for his size. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's, when he when he locks in, he can rebound. Zach Harvey, you know, he has good athleticism. He he can rebound well for his size, so that helps. The challenge will be, and, and John kind of alluded to this uh, in his post game press conference after Tulsa. The more they do it, and the more that tape is out there, teams are you know they're going to start attacking it. So they're going to you know take bigger guards and post them up, or they're going to work the ball inside. They're going to try and get him in foul trouble. That's not a reason not to do it, but it's something they're going to have to be prepared for. And it can't be a situation where they go small, they get a couple steals, you know, they run out, things are going great, and then the team slows it down and just pounds them in the post and, and they take them out of it. Like, you have to find ways to combat, you know, teams adjusting to you going small. And if they can do that, then I, honestly I think that's usually the kind of the best path forward for them. Um, but they're going to have to prove they can do it against – teams that either have big athletic bigs like Tulsa or, mm-hmm. you know, they Tulsa sent that Rochelle kid down there a couple of times and, and post him up as a big guard. Like yep. you got to be prepared for that and figure out ways to combat that if you want to go small for longer stretches. Yeah. Okay. So let's look at the SMU Wichita state games. Next two games, Justin, it, what would you like to see those next two games? Give me like, you know, two or three keys for this team to be successful and win those next two games. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I think going small and, you know, being able to resist when, when teams, because anybody that's watching that Tulsa tape, like they're, that's what they're going to think about is how do we attack them when they go small? So they got to kind of hold their own when that happens. You know, the, the two good things they did against Tulsa was they, they cut down on the fouls, they cut down on the turnovers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if you, you know, Brandon mentioned them being a statistical anomaly, not in a good way after the game in mm-hmm. the terms of, like, they had a bunch of offensive rebounds, not a ton of turnovers. They outshot uh, Tulsa by 20 almost um, just because of the pace they were playing at, but also because of how many shots they were missing. Like, they mm-hmm. just couldn't make right. shots. And yep. sometimes that's – that's as as simple and frustrating as an answer as that is. Like that is the answer is 
they got to they got to make shots. Um, I thought they played better defensively against Tulsa, whether it was because they were going full court or they played a little bit more zone. Um, but yeah, th- those are the things. Keep limiting the fouls. Keep limiting the turnovers because that gives you a chance. That doesn't just completely put you, you know, behind the sticks uh, immediately uh, when you do those two things. But they're going to have to figure out ways to get, you know, more consistent offense, whether it's um, David Julius or Keith being a little bit more consistent or finding, you know, Zach Harvey, Mike Adams-Woods. They don't have to score 15 or 20 points, but, you know, they they need those guys to kind of be in, like, the 8 to 12 range, I think, a lot more often than they have been. Um, so I, I think you, you kind of alluded to this at the top. The, the problems are obvious. Um, it's figuring mm-hmm. out the solutions that, uh, that has been the challenging part. And I think there's different things they can try, but sometimes it's going to come down to guys not shooting 25, 30% from the floor. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you know, the other thing too, I know, I know the, this is two tough road games, but sometimes being on the road is best, you know, and, and one thing that hugs was great at was he, he always created this, this aura with, with our teams that it was us against the world. And when we went on these road trips, it was like the whole world's against you guys. Like we really felt like walking out to the stadium, the whole world was against us. And obviously there aren't going to be, you know, a lot of fans there, but sometimes on the road you can gel, create some continuity. So I'm hoping whether it's the SMU game or the Wichita state game, something clicks and we just start seeing something happen, and, and some continuities built, and this team starts to take off. So you never know it, on the road. Yeah, and I think a lot of the frustration this season, not that people, you know, if they were getting blown out, people would be frustrated too, you know, obviously, but some of the frustration has been like they have been right there in some of those games and just haven't exactly. been able to close or they've, you know, they've come back and it's been too no a little question. too late. So I think they have that capacity in them, but it's just how do you fix those little things? How do you – make your free throws, how do you cut down on the fouls, how do you, you know, get a couple easy buckets and, and do them all at the same time. Yep. Um, if they can do that, then, yeah, they could go on the road and be one of these these teams. But it all goes back to that small margin for error. You know, <laughs> they got to they gotta find a way to put them all together at once, and that's obviously been a challenge for them so far this year. Yeah. And, and, and jumping in, too, we talked a lot about the current players, but talking about recruiting, I, I've just had a tremendous amount of Bearcat fans ask me, What's the recruiting look like? I haven't heard anything about it. Um, one uh, Bearcat fan even tweeted at me, hey, I see football's killing it with recruiting. How come we don't hear anything with basketball? And, and I told the guy, basketball's a little different. Football, you're recruiting 100 kids. Like, there's just so many players. You hear about so many kids. Basketball's a little bit different. You're recruiting a smaller group of kids. Um, talk to me a little bit about anything you know on the recruiting end. And what are some of the recruits that you think they need to, not necessarily specific names, but positions, skills, they need to go after for next year? Yeah, I mean, uh, unfortunately, and I know this is the answer people want, I don't have a ton of updates on the recruiting front for, for 2021. And I realize there's been frustration because of that. You know, I mean, again, there are reasons for that. Obviously, the, the pandemic has made recruiting really difficult. Yep. Um, I, I do think there's been some, like, resigned to the fact that they're going to have to go to the transfer portal again, which can, can be exciting. You know, David Julius has struggled at times, but I think there's a lot of promise there and, and that's a good, a good get for them. But then you also, you know, have the potential for some misses like that like they've had in the, the portal already. So mm-hmm. I get why there's frustration there. And, and um, so I, I'm, I'm not trying to like just completely wave that away, but I, I think that's kind of the, the road, 
they're looking at in terms of what they need. I mean, they pretty clearly need an athletic big um, of of some sort. Like if they could get some kind of rim running center shot blocker, um, you know, rebounder, like that's great. Those guys, you know, everybody wants those players. So it's not like they're just hanging out out there, um, but, <laughs> right. but they, they, they need that. And then, you know, all right. So, is is the Julius going to be your point guard next year? You know, I I think you have to kind of decide that, and then that kind of determines. So, are you getting somebody to pair with Mikey Saunders to play point guard, and you want to play to Julius more off the ball, or do you need to go out and get a scoring maybe ISO type player, you know, to play on the wing at the two to to kind of replace at least statistically what what Keith's given you? Mm-hmm. Um, they they need something in that realm. They need somebody, you know, if they're going to lose. 15 points a game when Keith is gone next year. So they got to get some scoring somewhere. Um, so I, I think that's, those, those are the two obvious areas. And then, yes, I, I know that the Madsen brothers, like, you know, we're told that they can shoot. And I've seen both of those guys shooting warmups and, and they're knockdown shooters. Gabe's not here this year. Mason has been hurt and hasn't played yet. This team desperately needs some outside shooting. No question. Uh, like, you know, they don't have the Javen Cumberland type, the guy where when you're down three, you drop a play to get this guy a three-point shot. They just mm-hmm. don't have it. So if you're if you're looking at, like, you know, three spots, those are kind of the three that immediately jump to mind. Big, athletic, rim-running, uh, post player, you know, kind of wing, um, two, three score, and then uh, some kind of sharpshooter on the outside. Yep. Easier easier said than done, I realize. But I <laughs> Right. Yeah. In recruiting, is there's such a science to recruiting. There's so many moving parts. I remember I was at a, I was at a Greater Cincinnati Basketball Hall of Fame dinner, and I was talking with Travis Steele, Xavier's head coach, and I said, you know, Travis, what are as a college coach, what are your biggest challenges um, right now? And he looked me dead in the eyes, and he goes, recruiting. And I said, okay, what do you mean by that? He goes, because before even recruiting any kid outside of our program, he goes, I have to re-recruit our kids in the program again from leaving. And and he's like, this transfer portal is allowing kids to just jump out, you know, as soon as possible. And he goes, so I'm re-recruiting our kids more than ever. And then you've got to look at the kids that are in the portal. You've got to look at high school kids and you've got to look at international kids. There are just so many moving parts, man. That is stressful. Yeah, and it's the same. I've heard football coaches say the same thing. Like, you, you now you can never, you know, what it used to be, the kid signs his letter of intent, and then, like, you can really, you know, start coaching them and, you know, start chewing them out and stuff like that because you have them there. That's, you know, that's not the case anymore um, because the, the portal does, that has kind of changed that calculus. So that's yep. that's part of it. and. We've already seen Cincinnati struggle with that, whether it's you know guys opting out or, or you know transferring or whatever. So that's that's going to be part of it moving forward too. Um, it's uh, it feels like they haven't had a chance to get settled yet, and I'm sure that's what's most frustrating for for John Brandon and his staff because I, I think they they have a plan and they have a culture and they have all these things they want to do and they just for whatever reason um, you know things they can control or things they can't control it, it hasn't gotten there yet. So that's that's the step, and it does take time, but um, patience is hard, especially when you're struggling on the floor. Yeah, and and the last thing I want to talk about is Coach Brandon. You just mentioned Coach Brandon, his staff kind of settling in. And and here's the thing. Um, Fans always want to fire the coach and bench the player. And, And 
it, it happens in every, you know, NFL, college football, just everywhere. I mean, if you look at Mick Cronin's first two years, everyone wanted Mick fired. Like there were some, there were like sixteen or six thousand people um, at the games his, his second year. And I remember having a conversation with Mick. I'll never forget this. I'm, I'm at practice. This is in his second year, and we're sitting there. And I said, "How you doing with everything?" <clears throat> and you know, Mick's not good at like filtering what he wants to say, <laughs> at least at that point. And he, he looks at me, he goes, everyone wants me fired. I hear it. I know. I, I, he says, people yelling at the game. I know they want me fired. He goes, I ain't going nowhere. And he goes, I got a kid coming in next year. And he's talking about Yancey Gates. And he goes, Yancey Gates is going to lead to getting this other kid. He's talking about Lance Stevenson. He goes, then we're going to be rocking and rolling, and then everyone's going to start coming back and filing in. That's simple. He's like, I'm good. And he was right. <laughs> like, he, he was – that's exactly what, you know, kind of happened. Uh, you look at Des Ritter. After the first three games, what did everybody want to do? Bench Des Ritter. Right. And it's just, the you know, the reality of it. Um, and I think so many fans on Twitter want Coach Brandon. Oh, he's not the guy. He needs to go. Uh, the, the, the administration needs to look at, you know, moving on, you know, after the season, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Jesus, give – you gotta give people you one, you gotta give people a chance, kinda I. E. Mick. And secondly, you gotta have faith in the people you hire. For example, uh Fickle had had faith in Des Ritter, his quarterback. Regardless of all the outside noise, he was like, This is my guy. You know, it might have been a little hurt or whatever the case was earlier on, but this is my guy, he's gonna lead us there. And sure enough he did. So um what are, what are your what do you have to say to the Bearcat fans in regards to Coach Brandon? Yeah, I mean, I, I see it too, and I realize a lot of times that's people out of frustration saying, like, he's not the guy who should be fired. You know, whether it's uh, in-the-moment frustration or people actually believe that, that's that's way too reactionary. You know, this is a team <laughs> that they won 20 games last year, you know, yep. him coming in in kind of a definitely a difficult, uh, tough situation, and I realize things aren't going well right now, but – this is also a fan base that is not um, doesn't have a ton of experience with coaching changes. You know, they had True. great uh, point. You know, if obviously the Andy Kennedy year, but for the most part, they've had two head coaches in what the past thirty years. Yep, like that's great point. You know, and and those were two really good coaches, and they brought a lot of stability. And so, I, and I think that has kind of fogged how difficult that transition can be. Because yeah, you know, you referenced it. If you think back, and, and there were a lot of factors to when Mick took over that are different than what John is inheriting. Whether you talk about some of the sanctions or scholarships or Big East, like I, I'm not trying to you know make the perfect comparison, but like that was a process of of them turn of you know him turning things around and kind of getting it back to where it got. And that's this is what happens in coaching changes. Even if it's you know Mick Cronin wasn't fired and, and like the the program bottomed out like you know, you know when it compared to football or something like that. Yeah, it was it was a good situation um, on the surface w- when John took over. But there's always roster turnover. There's always transition when a coach comes in, even if it's like a, a good situation. And yep. you know we saw it with Xavier the past couple of years. Uh, see it at pretty much any other place it's very rarely for somebody to step in and year one or even year two just completely flip the script so um you know yeah things are bad right now but i think anyone that's like 
already to you know jump off the bandwagon or say like we need to make a coaching change. To me, that that is too reactionary. I think you got to give John Brennan a, a chance to to put in his system and and get his recruits in. And you know, from my perspective, I think he's earned the right to do that so far with with what he's done, especially last year. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I realize fans are passionate, and and that's certainly and it's it's your right as a fan to to feel that way. Um, but from my perspective, yeah, that seems way too hasty. Um, You'd definitely like to see some progress and like to see things get better this year and, and on, you know, see some recruiting progress for 2021. But anything that's kind of like this was the wrong choice, that that just to me seems way too, way too quick to move to that, that level. Well said. How can people follow you on social media? Uh, at Williams underscore Justin on Twitter. That's really the only social media um, I'm present on. Um, wait, wait, you're not on TikTok? You're not dancing? Come I'm, on, I'm, not on, I'm not on TikTok. Yeah, you know. You're missing out. You're missing out, I, man. That's I know. Course. That's where the party's at. You're, you're, you're in the corporate, corporate building on Twitter. The TikTok's where the party's at, bro. I, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm in that like weird zone where I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not old, but I'm not cool either. So it's scary for me. Um, but then, yeah, you know, they can find me on the athletic. Um, but they're, they're a bunch of obviously awesome writers and you get to follow any sport and any team imaginable on there, including the Bearcats. So if, if people aren't subscribed yet, even in the midst of a, you know, a little bit disappointing basketball season, I would encourage them to check us out. You know what? You're a fantastic, you know, writer, and I tell you, I think what you do very well because um, I read your articles. Um, you like you like grab the, the the real topic at hand, and and you try your best to address it, and I, and I like that. Um, and and it's a funny story. So I've got a I got a good friend named Glenn Riley. He's a very very well read guy. Um, loves sports. Loves following things and. I sent him a couple of your your articles and he's like, man, this is this is good stuff. I mean, he, of course, he follows the Bearcats and uh, he ended up subscribing to uh, the Athletic because of your writing. And so I, I really would tell all the Bearcat fans out there to uh, jump aboard that and definitely check out your articles because you, you definitely do great stuff. And I know that you just wrote a football and basketball article just at the start of the year, correct? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I appreciate you saying that. Um, yeah, we'll still yep. have some football stuff, you know, with their, whether it's finishing up the year or just some of the off-season moves and obviously, you know, tons of basketball for the next couple of months. But that's very kind of you. I appreciate you saying that. I'll uh, I'll look into – I need to get you a commission on – you can get no, anybody no. to sign up. <laughs> no, no, no. All, all good, man. I try to I try to spread it out there, man. Um, okay, so we're at the end of the podcast, and what I want to do with you here is do quick questions – and quick answers. All right. Are you ready? Yes, sir. All right. Here we go. Quick questions, quick answers with Justin Williams. Number one, please tell me your dream interview. Whew. Bob Dylan. Whoa. Explain. I'm a huge Bob Dylan fan, um, and he's like a total recluse weirdo, um, and I just think it'd be fascinating to to sit down with him. I'm, my other answer, like, I'm a huge Seinfeld fan. I'm a big Jerry Seinfeld guy, but okay. he seems he seems intimidating um, from an from an interview standpoint. Yeah, um, and Dylan does too, but almost like in a, in a weirder way. So I don't I don't know why, but that that would be my go to. I don't know Dylan that well. Um, I know Jerry Seinfeld. I agree with you on that. It's like you have to ask him certain questions. Otherwise, he just feels like he's just going to kill you. 
Right. Yeah, like <laughs> I would just be wanting to talk about Seinfeld reruns, and I know he doesn't want to do that, so <laughs> that's, 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 <laughs> it probably wouldn't go very well. That ain't happening. Okay, number two, dream job. Uh, Bearcats beat writer for The Athletic, right? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's funny. People always ask me, like, you know, oh, what do you want to do? Or, you know, what's kind of the next step in your career? Like, I wasn't a beat writer before this. I wasn't grinding it out at at a newspaper for years. I kind of came from a magazine background. Like, uh, you know, not I don't want to go full Luke Fickle, but like, I love what I'm doing right now because I feel like I'm still learning so much about about the beat. Um, And, you know, I I grew up here, uh, so I have a connection to the city. Um, so I, I know that's like a lame, um, you know, answer, but I, I just feel like I have, um, there, there has been no shortage of things to cover and write about on this beat for the, the Man. two, three years that I've been on it. So Man, I, I haven't even had a chance to, to think about it yet. That's good stuff. Okay. I, I, that's fair enough. Um, okay. My, my third question, and, and this is basketball specific. Okay. If you could be one Bearcat basketball player in history, who would it be? And it cannot be Oscar Robertson. <laughs> That's probably going to be my answer. Um, that can't be the big O. Uh, I'll bring this up just because, like, it's it's my personal connection. I was a huge Danny Fortson fan. Okay. Up. Um, you know, he, that was just like kind of that, that era was right when, you know, I was, I was younger and in Cincinnati. And then, you know, certainly as I went away to, to college, I, I probably lost a little bit of attention that I was paying to the Bearcats, but I just, you know, growing up when, when Fortson was playing, like that was the guy, he was such a beast. And I, I think a lot, I think you can trace and you, you know, you could speak to this better than I could, but I think you can trace a lot of the, as great as that final four team run was in 92, I think a lot of kind of the, the Bearcat mentality, Bearcat ethos kind of started with Fortson, at least in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so, and that was, so that I always had a, like a childhood connection to that. Um, and just that, like how, how dominant he was in the post and kind of the, the mindset he gave the program. That would be my pick. Well, and to, to piggyback what you said, you think about Kenyon Martin. Kenyon Martin goes as one of the, the more decorated players in Bearcat history. Um, Kenyon Martin really benefited from Danny Fortson, and I'll tell you why. So way back um, when Danny was playing, uh, I'll never forget this story, um, they were playing like Marquette, and Marquette ran this play. And for the life of, of them, Hugs could not stop that play, and he loved it. And he actually stole that play and ran it for Danny Fortson. And that made Danny Fortson a lot of money in the NBA. (laughs) Now, fast forward to when I played, I came in the same time as Kmart. We had a play called 25, and it was for Kenyon Martin. And one day, it's just out of the blue, someone was like, "Why, why is this called 25? And Hugs was like, we ran it for Danny Fortson, and he's an NBA, so we're running it for Kenyon. And that play, 25, was for Kenyon, and that play was part of the reason that Kenyon made a lot of money <laughs> in the NBA. So you are right, though. Like, you know, D- Danny was that impact guy, man. Definitely. That would be my pick. Yep. So, okay, uh, number four and final, and I, and, and I had this kind of – predetermined this question, but I, God, I might have to change directions with your first answer. Uh, what was the last hip-hop album you listened to? Oh, last hip-hop album. Like, is this, like, last new 
hip hop artist album I listen to or just in, in general. general? In general. That's a good question. You know, it's it's kind of like well, I'm a, I'm a big Outkast guy. Ooh. Um little Andre Andre 3000 and Big yeah, Boy. Yeah, I love I love Andre. So there's probably like that would be mixed in there somewhere. I I realize, you know, if you're just taking the full like um the, you know, time sign of the times and everything going on right now this isn't like maybe the best answer but i i always get drawn back to the old kanye stuff okay okay and and like i know he's you know kind of gone off the reservation at times uh, a, a little bit but <laughs> man like you he know left the reservation <laughs> i was not, you know i know like some people love the 808s and heartbreaks and that's gotten a lot of respect lately but uh i was never huge on that but like i think was it my beautiful dark twisted fantasy or, or whatever whatever by that far is best album that's and you my, know what i, I I just started listening to it recently, and it took me back because it was kind of like it came out right as I was getting out of college. Was that that Watch the Throne album? Like I found myself listening to that the other day and forgetting what a big deal that was when it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, but so if I guess if that's literally the answer, like the actual last hip hop album, I, I went I went back and listened to the to uh, the Watch the Throne album while I was driving the other day, and it was the first time I think I'd actually listened to that whole album or most of really? it in a long time um and it was it kind of it was a little nostalgic it, it threw me back to college a little bit but i was also like this this, this is a good album it, isn't that isn't that fascinating that you know you you could go and revisit an album and it's just like this is like genius this is fantastic and you, you go back and you I, I do that i'm a big jay-z fan and i do that uh-huh. with jay-z's music all the time i go back and i listen to songs i'm like holy i i find new I find new stuff all the time, but but I do want to say something real quick. <clears throat> so you, you talk about um, Bob Dylan, and, and he's obviously a different different guy. Uh, mm-hmm. You mentioned Outkast. Andre Three Thousand is definitely a different dude. Um, he walks around, uh, I guess, in Atlanta a lot, and he plays his flute. Have you heard about this? <laughs> he's one of those guys that he's kind of like in the Bill Murray zone, Andre Three Thousand, right? Where it's like any story of, of what he does, you know, popping up in different places, like I'll believe it. So I I had not heard that he plays his flute walking around Atlanta, but yes. it doesn't that doesn't shock me to hear that. I mean I I've had friends send pictures to me of him like outside of Whole Foods playing a flute and they're like I'm like, is he okay? Like did you like put change down or what what was the deal with it? And he's like, No, he wasn't like panhandling or anything like <laughs> just kinda kinda bizarre. And then you mentioned Kanye, who you said um you know, a little off the reservations. Those are three interesting, interesting characters. Those will be three fascinating interviews, Justin. Yeah, I mean, I guess I hadn't like put it together that way, but you're right. Maybe there's some kind of like eccentric, um, misunderstood genius that that like I'm a, I'm attracted to. Potentially, because it's like complete opposite of me. I'm I'm so boring and and milk toast. <laughs> like I'm, I'm fascinated by these guys that are, you know are a little bit uh, uh, hard to to grasp. Yeah. I guess, yeah. Yeah, no question. Well, well no, not on TikTok either. So you know, there you go. It all we all yeah. tied it in. <laughs> well, man, this is uh, this is great stuff. I always love talking Bearcat basketball with you, man. And um, Obviously had you on episode 19 and now episode 72, so we definitely got to do this again soon. We got to do it before the end of the season, and hopefully a lot of the things that we talk about, um, they've been proved on and addressed, and we can kind of go back and see. See, I told you, I told you we're going we're gonna to do that. That sounds yeah. good? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to go back and compare and see if see if any of the things we were looking for, how they, how they panned out, which could could be good, or let's just hope they're good. Let's, let's end on that. 
they they will be. I've I've I faith. I always have faith. So hey, I want to um, thank you for coming on and uh, definitely uh, checking out your stuff as always. Uh, we'll definitely talk. I wish I could see you at a game, but I'm I'm not going in the games this year. So I know that's the way it is. But no, I, I appreciate you having me on. I always appreciate you. No problem at all, brother. We'll catch up. Take care. Thanks, man. Thanks, Justin. Bye bye. I want to thank everyone for listening to Season 2 of The Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Once again, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. I'm on Snapchat, BigMeach41. And I'm now dancing on TikTok at Alex Meacham41. I appreciate everyone listening to the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Go Bearcats!